Welcome to the sixth episode of the Think Wildlife podcast. Today we have Adam Barlow, who is the founder and executive director of Wild Team Conservation, one of the leading educational uh, conservation platforms in the world. So welcome, Adam. It's a pleasure to have you on our podcast. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. I just wanted to ask about uh, Wild Team. So why do you start this organization, and what is your long-term vision? Well, um, we started before we started this organization. What led to the st- starting up world team was um, I was studying uh, tigers in first Nepal and Bangladesh, and um, in Bangladesh we started working on trying to uh, change things for tigers, try- trying to save tigers, and um, so I worked there for about ten years. And I realized that um, my training, my PhD in basically ecology, didn't really help me save tigers very much. It helped me understand about how tigers lived in the jungle, but it really didn't give me the skills to save them. And I spent a lot of time failing uh, in what I wanted to do. I was passionate about saving tigers. I I just kept failing, really. And the reason I was failing is um, I didn't have the skills, the, the skills I needed to design and manage the work I was trying to do. So we got those skills in, and that really transformed our work in Bangladesh. And we went from seeing the tigers disappear to uh, seeing the tigers starting to increase. So that was a great bit of uh, uh, success for us. But it was all down to the skills we had. Um, and so uh, we started Wild Team in Bangladesh to help save tigers. And then after that, we started up Wild Team UK to um, provide um, skills to people so that they could make the same difference in in their careers. I know how many passionate people there are out there and doing, trying to do conservation. And there's so few jobs. There seems so few opportunities. And... Um, and what few jobs there are, you know, uh, are often in uh, richer countries. And, um, and I know all conservationists want to make a big difference. So our vision is to uh, have it so that every conservationist um, can get the skills um, and network they need to have a really fulfilling career but also to make a measurable difference to wildlife conservation. So for us, it's all about um, in empowering people to do conservation. That's our uh, big dream. What has been the greater impact of a wild team in the conservation field? Uh, that's a good question. So we measure impact. Um, we measure direct impact. The thing that we're in charge of, or kind of um, we're more in control of. And we measure that simply in terms of how many people we train. So we've trained, we've given out skills, we've given out about um, uh, 1,700 skills certificates, and that's to about 1,500 conservationists from 91 different countries. So we feel good about uh, having trained a lot of people. Not all of them are in a position to do something with those skills. Some of them are getting those skills so that they can even just get their first conservation job. Uh, 
others already in conservation jobs, and then can use their skills. So our indirect impact is we measure in terms of then what do they do with that training and that skill. Um, and uh, so we do that for an annual survey, which we just completed. And that's a kind of cumulative thing. We do that every year. And um, we find out from that survey that our skills have, for example, helped um, the trainees raise £2.9 million in conservation funds. It also means that they've uh, spent £23 million in conservation funds more effectively. And uh, most importantly of all, um, applying the skills that we provide has helped 5.25 million square kilometres of wild areas be uh, better conserved. So that doesn't mean that all those square kilometres are, are safe, you know, and our training is one one component of uh, one contributor to if a, a species or a, or a land is uh, saved, uh, but we know we're contributing uh, to that effort on a uh, on a really big scale. So that's how we measure impact, and that's what our impact has been. And that you know, to get down to you know where it's helped or what it's helped, you know, we've helped um, conserve the the application of our training has helped conserve um, you know species such as tigers, sea turtles, bison, parakeets. Uh, it's helped everywhere from Yellowstone to um, uh, lots of national parks in uh, different places in in Africa, in Nigeria, in Kenya, Uganda. Um, so that's how we look at impact, and that's what our impact's been. What's the main target audience of wildlife? Do people entering the conservation field or people already in the field? Yeah, both of those, because we just see it as part of the same kind of... Uh, it's just it's conservationists, but but at different stages in their career. Um, so we support both of those, and we train people in the same skills, whether they're a student, uh, whether they're a um, you know after university they're seeking a job, or they've got a job in university. All of those people. So we've trained you know everyone from CEOs to someone with a in a degree in zoology. Uh, everyone really. What is Wild Team doing to become more accessible for those who face various barriers? Yeah, that's a great question. It's what, something I'm working on right now. Um, so what we what we're working on, and what and that's our passion is to make it accessible. It's no, it's not really any use to us if we just trained a few people. So uh, we're now looking to raise funds to cover the costs of full bursaries for. Uh, people that want to take our courses but can't and then have a simple application process so people can access those at the moment uh you know take a course with us it costs about let's say 200 pounds and that's not very much for what the course provides um but for someone who hasn't got 20 pounds you know that's a a huge cost it's you know it's, it's impossible so we don't want it so that our training is just accessible to the people with £200 spare to, to, to spend up. We also know that, you know, people are coming out of university with with debts. And um, and, we, and we also know that everyone we survey is basically interested in our, in, our, in our training. So, yeah, it's up to us to raise funds to cover those full bursaries. 
and and we want to do that on a really big scale um because if we do it on a smaller scale we're not really having a great effect on conservation but if we could do a a, a, a big scale let's for example say um give out you know at least 100 bursaries per per country you know to start off with uh then then we're starting to to scale up capacity and what i'm really excited about in that respect and i don't know about what you feel about this and is that at the moment from my from my perspective conservation is in the hands of just a few people really you know there's lots of conservationists here and there and lots of people striving but um all the resources are in the hands of a few organizations that are doing their best you know and they're normally situated in the in the west in the states or in europe or something and there's, there's some you know brilliant ones emerging as well in places like India, but there's a real disparity, you know, and that means because where all that conservation technical expertise and where all the funds get channeled through, that means that, that, you know, there's very few opportunities also, all the opportunities are also there. So if if I'm someone in, in, let's say, Tanzania, and I want to be a conservationist, I've got far fewer chances and opportunities and someone in the UK. So what that's not that's not right, is it? It doesn't it's not that it's just not right. It's that it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't help conservation. So conservation can't combat the challenges uh, that it needs to combat with our current effort. Our current effort is too small, it's too concentrated in a few people's hands, and it's not moving, it's not innovating fast enough. We need ten, a hundred times more people as professional conservationists um, doing work that is appropriate for their um, the situation that they're dealing with in with wherever they're from, so we need to build real national capacity um, in conservation. And um, with that capacity, that means that um, conservation funds will be more equally distributed, and job opportunities will be more equally distributed, and. Um, who is in charge of setting, you know, international and national agendas in conservation is more equally uh, distributed and it's more inclusive. So it's not just in a kind of a geographic sense. It's also even within a geography. For some people, it's really easy or easier to get into conservation, you know, depending on your background, uh, you know, how much, you know, as you as you know yourself or will soon find out, conservation doesn't pay very much and it's really hard to get into. And so you have to make a lot of sacrifices and you can only make those sacrifices if you've got some personal wealth or you can stomach those sacrifices or you're lucky enough to get a scholarship or something. But if you can't get a scholarship, then it's all about, well, okay, I need six months of experience. What do I do? You know, how do I get that? Well, okay, I'll go out and volunteer for six months. Not everyone can afford to volunteer for six months. Only people that can afford to it can can do it. And it's not just the, the case of motivation. It's a case like, you know, either I do volunteering and my family starves or I don't, I get another job. And now I don't have any volunteering experience. Uh, I don't have any connections. I'm still motivated, but I just can't start and start saving wildlife. So we want to overcome all those those kind of barriers uh, to make conservation accessible so that anyone uh, motivated and capable can have a, a really wonderful career and also just make a difference. Uh, all the training we provide... It's all focused about how to make impact, how to how to achieve impact, how to measure it, how to organize your team to achieve it. Um, 
and we've designed them from learning how to do that in the field. Uh, lots of things are in the conservation world are academic, theoretical, and not sufficient to actually put into practice the things to consider, things to learn from. Brilliant, but they're not. We provide a practical framework about how to do things, and that's really a, a big difference between our training and and uh, just learning about a subject through journal papers. Yeah, uh, that's that would be my answer to that. I think you had a good point because in India, like conservation was really concentrated with a few people, but in the last few years, it's changing. There's been a lot of CSR funds, a lot of scholarships to people and indigenous people getting into conservation. So I can say maybe in the last four or five years, it's starting to change a bit. There's a lot more funding. So my next question is that most people assume that to be a conservationist, you have to be a biologist, but uh, there are, there's a lot more skills. As you said, there's a lot more required to actually conserve animals or in just being an ecologist or a biologist. What would be your advice to people starting a conservation career? Like what skills should they be focusing on? Yeah, I think for sure. You don't have to be a biologist to be a conservationist, you know. So if you think about what conservation is, it's not an academic pursuit. And it's not a, it's not something where the challenge is to get inf- ecological information and do something with it. That's not the challenge. The challenge is to change people's behaviour uh, of, of whatever group it is, be it a government um, or work with people to enable them to do what they want to do if, they, if they're not empowered, like a local community, um, or run a campaign to change attitudes in the, in the general population, or lobby to change uh, laws and things. None of that is to do with ecology or animal behaviour. So why conservation is a bit backwards is because it has been created as an academic pursuit. Conservation biology is something from universities and it starts with understanding you know animals and ecosystems and things like that and that's my background as well but that's that's all that does is provide so all that does it's not all it does it important it provides a very important function it provides the information so and it's an information source so people in university are trained to collect information um Brilliant. We need that info. But there's a big difference between that info and doing something with it. So conservation is about doing something with it. And the info feeds into that. So you might have and you might need a researcher on your team to get you data, not just on on the uh, ecological aspects of a situation, but sometimes more importantly, on the social aspect of of the situation. You know, whether we discover it or not, the jungle and the animals are going to take care of themselves. You know, the problem is, why is it being threatened? What are the threats? Who's driving? What and what is driving the threats? Who's involved? Uh, and and how do we change that? And that's all. Not just social. It's not just a social science question. Social science kind of tells us what the situation is, why things are happening. The other part of that is how do we change that, which is not quite just a social science approach it can be informed by social science but it's more of a social marketing approach about how to change behaviors and and nudge people and and uh, partner with people and empower groups and that's totally different and you never get you don't get taught that in universities so 
and that's the that's just the act, activities, the conservation activities. But it's not just activities. Activities just don't happen, just floating around in space. You need an organisation, or at least you need a team. You need a team with a vision and a mission, and probably a website and uh, a bank account uh, and some funds and people to hire people, uh, people to manage people. And people to report on to donors, to stakeholders, to communicate. And so all the, so the, the skills are how to create, how to create an organization, how to run an organization, including all the operational skills, all the finance skills, all the HR skills, all the comms skills, um, all of that stuff. Then it's about how to deliver conservation. So all the ops is set up. Now you've got the funds, now you've got the org, everything. Now to how to deliver it, and that's how to manage things, how to plan and manage and report on your conservation work. And that's a management skill. It's nothing to do with, uh, it's nothing to do with ecology. It's how to manage things from start to finish. And you don't get that taught in that in university either. So conservation needs, uh, you know, conservation organization leaders. We need people in HR, we need people in finance, we need, we need managers. Then underneath those managers, you need technical experts to uh, either do some research, either in ecology or social research. And then you do you need a lot of other uh, levels of uh, workers that are carrying out the, the work the organization does, which might be quite specialist, like lobbying or might be training rangers or it might be uh, empowering communities, working directly with the communities. So there's so many different skill sets involved. And um, ecological research is what, an important one, but actually it's um, a bit of a minor one when it comes to carrying out conservation. Uh, that is a very good point. So amongst all your courses, which has been the most popular and why? The most popular one is the project management for wildlife conservation. Uh, why? It's for aspiring conservationists. Every job asks for project management skills or, or some kind of experience. No one has it. Uh, and they can try and say, well, I run a, you know, my research project. I run my research project. That's not really project management. And you look the same as everyone else. So people take the project management course to make them, um, stand out above other job applicants. And then in the conservation, for the conservation professionals, they're already working in a job. Then every every day they are running, that's how you do conservation, running projects. Every one of them is running projects and you either do it really well or you do it really badly. So they're, they're, their incentive is to improve on um, how they do things. Because when you do it well, the programmatic stuff, it makes things work really smoothly and you get things done on time or better than expected. And when it's, when it's done badly, it kind of sucks up all your time and things go really bad. So uh, that's why that one is the most popular. So are there any new courses being made right now? Yes, we are um, making five new leadership courses. One of them uh, we've got uh, advertised at the moment, but the other uh, the other four become a, come in the next couple of years, and that's all about um, developing for individuals to develop their leadership qualities. It's not about 
being in a positional sense, the top of a, an organization. It's nothing to do with that. It's about the whole thing about leadership is how to motivate others under a shared vision. So you can have, you can, um, uh, apply leadership qualities to, towards your upwards, towards your, uh, boss to, to, to help motivate them in a, in a certain direction. You can do it sideways to a teammate. You can do it to someone you manage. You can, you can apply it to a stakeholder. Um, and so each leadership training course covers a different theme. Like the first one we're doing is all about learning. It's about leading yourself. It's about being, uh, understanding how to, um, set yourself up so that you're continuing, continually learning and aware of your own effects on others uh, and being, um, and by recognizing that, having this feedback loop where you can always think, oh, you know, I didn't do that very well, you know, and how to improve on that. Uh, and uh, so that's the kind of foundation for the, for the other leadership courses as well. Uh, other things we're looking into uh, that I'm particularly passionate about is community-based conservation. Because I think everyone, you know, lots of conservation projects, they interact with communities, but um, often it's tokenism. And often it's like they kind of let's and kind of quite patronizing in a, in a way. It's kind of like, oh, well, let's do some alternative livelihoods or, you know, they're poor. Let's give them some, you know, something or other and they'll be all right. And meanwhile, we'll ask them not to do some destructive behavior. And that really points to a lack of understanding about how to work with communities. Uh, community based conservation is about really understanding. Um, what the communities aspire to do and what their relationship is with the biodiversity that you're interested in saving. You're coming in, you don't know about this community, you're not part of them. You're trying to, you're, you're passionate about saving, let's say, gibbons or something in a national park. Um, and it doesn't appear on the surface that the communities are because they're doing some weird stuff, like maybe they're chopping down trees or whatever. So you think, oh, you know, they're poor, they're chopping down trees for fuel wood. Uh, you know, let's get them some fuel wood stoves or something, and then they won't need to do that anymore. And that, from that starting point, you haven't really understood at all what communities. And also, you're seeing that they don't care about that jungle and those gibbons, and you're probably very wrong. So, community-based conservation is really about not only understanding uh, more fully about the community's aspirations and its relationships to other groups and the biodiversity on which it probably depends. But it's also about being led by them, about handing over control, about you what you want to do in your way, say, well, okay, you feel this way, so how should we do this? What do you want to do? And uh, involving them from the word go in the planning and then the delivery of the conservation work. And it's a totally different way of doing conservation. Um, so, And there's no... It's actually, you know, amazingly that we can find. There might be the old bit in university, but where it's mentioned, you know, that you might read a paper on community-based conservation, have a chat about it, but we can't find any real focused training on it or best practice on it, amazingly. So that's the next uh, topic also uh, we're going to focus on. That's, I think community conservation, based conservation is a very big thing, especially when, because in a country like India where there's 
300 million people living in or around forests. The communities have to be involved properly for conservation to succeed because we are increasing tigers, increasing leopards, uh, elephant populations, but 300 million people who actually want to live a better life. So that's a very important skill, I'll say, in the coming future. My final question for you is, what has been your greatest learning experience from a wild team? My greatest learning? Um, my greatest learning is that if you do something, if you do something positive, if you empower people to do something that you think is important or that you, you and they think is important and you're, you're kind of empowering them to do what they want to do rather than just what you want to do, you're not trying to, then, then amazing things will happen. If you're, and by empowering, I mean, not just providing them with kind of skills or funds or equipment, that kind of thing. It's about enabling them to take ownership of what they want to do. So, um, for example, in Bangladesh, and, and also to work with groups that are motivated to, to, to make a positive change. So Bangladesh, for example, you're mentioning about, you know, increasing tigers and leopards and of course you get conflict with that. And uh, we thought, well, okay, we can't solve this problem. And then it seemed like, it seemed like the, the, the villagers just hated, hated tigers. You know, when they came to the village, they just beat them to death with farm implements. So it seems like, okay, um, why are they doing that? So we spent a lot of time under, talking to the communities, work out why. And it came, came out that it wasn't that they hated the tigers. Actually, they really loved the tigers. They saw them as guardians of the forest. Um, but why they were killing them was because they also, there was a cultural thing about being brave, about if a tiger's in your village and you're a man and you're sitting at home and you're not doing something about it, that was your one point in time to say, I'm going to, save this village and this was your only way of doing it and so we thought well we work with villagers come up with an alternative because they did want to save the tigers they didn't want to save the village so we we just helped them have a different way of expressing those wishes that they wanted to do and so uh, we trained up we in one place that had a lot of tiger problems we trained up a team we turned up we said we, you know we can train you in how to protect your village from tigers while not killing them if you like and if you don't want to, that's all right. No problem. It wasn't an enforced thing. And they had a chat. And they said, okay, yeah, we'll do that. I said, well, okay, then who do you want us to train? You know, it's up to them. Every time it's their decision. Okay. Um, and then they had a chat and they got some seven people. And, we, and they just discussed, they chose them, who the leader was. Well, okay. Well, let's, uh, we trained them. And then they had some successes in protecting their village. And we didn't pay them anything. And we're talking about the, the some of the poorest people on earth, um, these villages, villages. And, um, but they were doing it for their own purposes. The thing about, and, and, um, and they were ridiculed to start off with. People thought, well, <laughs> this is a joke. You're doing it. But you're not be you're not be paid for anything. It's just ridiculous because the idea until that point was that the tigers they revered the tigers, but the tigers were someone else's. They're the forest departments, or maybe they're the, the kind of owned by the NGO kind of. 
But now we're saying, if you want to do something about your village and your tigers, then we'll help you do what you want to do. So it wasn't doing it for us. So when you start paying people for stuff, you have to be really careful. Because what you can do is make a situation where you've taken all ownership away from them. And say that you're doing it for me. You're not doing it for someone else. You're doing it for your pay packet. And the pay packet comes from us. And as soon as that pay packet is gone, then motivation is gone. And indeed, because of that pay packet is there, their motivation may be less than it was before. Just think of the th- why you're doing conservation or anyone's doing conservation. It's because it's in your heart. And it's because you want to express yourself and, and do something meaningful. And you're not doing that for someone else. It might be nice, you know, if you can get by or whatever and sustain yourself, brilliant. But you're doing it for yourself. And if that's all taken away from you, then it's very demotivating. So that was one of the major... Yeah, so in in short, the major learning is to empower people to do what they want to do if they want to do something positive. And and if they, if if you're trying to... And never try and change the changing people that are unmotivated I won't mention the groups but I spent four years trying to motivate a group that couldn't care less and it's just a total waste of time find motivated people and empower them, that's the number one lesson but the second one I'm going to sneak in is don't take away ownership never take away ownership of conservation by um, from a group that's motivated because you'll destroy the, the, the thing that will create change and so, um, because, and because of how we, how that was set up, then after a while, you know, they were, they got respect within their village and had some success. And then the next door village turned up and said, can we have some of that? Can we have some training? I said, okay, we're going to train you. We're not going to pay you anything. You're going to pick your own team, you know, and, um, they did that. And suddenly we made uh, over two years, we made about 50 teams. 360 volunteers of villagers saving them, saving their own tigers, saving their village, not for us, just for themselves. And that was a great success. I think that is a very nice story to end up. So uh, thanks for your time again. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. And I enjoy, uh, uh, enjoy chatting to you. And it's a brilliant, uh, you know, initiative of yours to, um, do these interviews and uh, I look forward to uh, watching uh, the other ones and, and just uh, hope hope uh, people watching um, get more excited and get more confident about getting involved in conservation because uh, whoever whoever they are uh, you know nature really needs them.